You're listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Thank you so much for being here with me today. It's an honor to be a small part of your life. I really am glad that you're here and coming your way today. We have a very special episode for you. My good friend Rhonda Williams will be joining me. And if you remember, Rhonda was on the show just a few months back where she came on and talked about her life as a crime scene investigator and what that looked like working out in the field, doing investigations. It's a fantastic interview. She also talked about how she balanced her work life with her family life, with her husband and her child. It is just one that you definitely need to check out if you haven't already. It's at danielkitchell.com. It's on Spotify, Apple, all the places you listen to your music, your books, your podcasts. But Rhonda is on the show today to do something completely different. She is here today to interview me. And with her questions, with her follow-up, and with her knowledge about my life, she is going to walk us through some of the key moments of my story. Her questions are thoughtful. They're difficult questions, but they're questions that I'm going to answer for you because I believe they're going to help you. She's going to pull back the curtain of my life a little bit, and I'm going to let you see some things that I've done, things that have happened to me, things I've gone through, and I really believe that you'll find it helpful. But before I get into the story, I want to be very clear about a few things that you're going to hear. This interview was not easy for me to do. In fact, before I hit the record button just a few days ago, I felt anxiety. I felt the nerves that were there because I know some of the things that are being shared are not easy to tell. And as I tell them, I know they're also not easy to listen to. But they're my story and they're part of my journey and part of things that God has brought me through. And as you listen today, just understand that I'm, I want to help. And that I'm still in the process of healing. I'm still in the process of, of being whole and, and God, you know, bringing about, you know, sanctification in my life and, and just making me closer to him. And this story is just part of all of that. And, and just know this, part of the show is going to be about some really dark seasons of sin in my life. And most of that sin was sexual sin where it undercut my life greatly. And I think it, it's really important for us to understand that this is something we need to talk about more so that we can spare people heartache and pain that comes along with sexual sin and not operating in the boundaries that God has set up for us. I think if all of us were really honest, I mean, many of us listening right now the sources of our pain, the sources of our struggle, of regret, of remorse, a lot of it is all traced back to sexual sin. Um, whether those are things that we did uh, on our own will or there are things that happened to us or our heart got broken or whatever it might be, sexual sin cuts us deeply. And I'm a person that can tell you about it from a very, very unique perspective. So I know today's show is not going to be the easiest on the ears. In fact, I'm not really even looking forward to laying it all out there for you 
But I know if I don't, then it's not going to be helpful. So I must. I must tell you my story because if it will help you avoid pitfalls, if it will keep you from disaster and allow your heart to not be broken, then it will all be worth it for me. The number one thing that we all must do if we want to avoid sexual sin, if we want to heal from sexual sin, is we have to believe that sex is more than just a physical act. The world's going to tell us that. It's just physical. That's why we have a booming pornography industry that takes on many forms, and all of them are dangerous. Our world tells us this. Our kids are taught this, and it's absolutely killing us right now. And so we don't need to avoid it. We're doing no one any favors at all by not discussing this and not putting it out there. And that's why I felt so led to share my story with you. So we have to let go of the lie. It's more than physical. It's spiritual. It's emotional. It's a gift from God. And when we view sex through that lens, everything changes. We're the ones that take the gifts that God gives us and we twist them and we manipulate them and we make them about things they were never intended to be about. But if we can all take a step back today and look at sex as a gift, as a sacred privilege that God has given us, everything can change for us. I spent a good part of my life thinking I could separate the physical from the spiritual and the emotional and the things that were going on in my mind, and it nearly cost me everything. And that's my story. And that's why I want to tell it, because I don't want it to cost you what it cost me. God is still redeeming me from all the things I'm going to share with you today, still healing me, still making me whole, allowing me to forgive myself to move on, to learn and to grow and to help other people. And I'm so thankful for his grace and mercy. And I wish that I'd learned the lessons earlier so I would not be so hurt and broken by the lies that I believed and the things that I indulged in. This is my story. It's ugly, but it's true. And I really do hope that it makes a difference in your life. Here is my interview with Rhonda Williams. Rhonda, thanks for coming on the show with me. It's an honor to have you here. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. You were on the show uh, some time ago talking about your life and your job and your career and some of your um, amazing stories in forensics and oh, things yeah. like that. And so a very popular show uh, for us and thankful for that. But today the the table is going to be turned on me a little bit and I'm going to uh, get interviewed by you and um, I'm going to get to share some of my stories and, yes. and paybacks. paybacks. Yeah, this is like your idea. So um, <laughs> I'm going to blame you for it, but I do have a story to tell and um, you're going to help me get through it and yes. uh, ask some questions and guide a little bit, maybe dig a little bit and we're just going to roll with it and see where it goes. But I would just say this to anybody listening that as I tell this story that um, there it comes with it um, some anxiety, you know, some real feelings. And I hope that as I do share my story, that you'll have grace and kindness and um, hope in your heart. Because if God can um, take me through the things he's taken me through and forgiven me, uh, then he can do it for anybody. I promise you that. So 
Rhonda, what's on your heart today, first and foremost? Uh, I'm just excited to get started and get into Daniel's world. <laughs> um, but I actually really think that your story is something that people need to hear. Yeah. Um, especially because you're put on a pedestal, right? Yeah. You're, you're a pastor. You're supposed to have all the right answers. You're supposed to do everything right, Daniel. No yeah. mistakes. <laughs> first time, get it done right. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think, going to be refreshing for people to hear this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope so. And you know, and, and for me, I just would say to any leader out there, especially um, those that are leading churches, that um, I, I wish I could have heard this story when I was in my age going through all the things I'm going to tell you about because it could have saved me a lot of heartache. And so I do hope if, if there is a leader and a pastor out there that's perhaps struggling with anything that I talk about or um, maybe going down that road of lacking integrity or having secrets or hiding that they would just talk to someone that cares about them because I think that that will help you get on the right path. And so I hope I can do that today. I uh, know you will. Listeners, so yeah. <laughs> so what's, uh, where do you, where do we start today? What are you thinking? We are going to start with Daniel growing up. Daniel uh, as Daniel as a young child, yeah. you know, what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the great thing is, is that um, I've been able to share my life with my identical twin brother. His name's Dustin. And, you know, we, we grew up in a, a pretty dysfunctional, broken home. Um, there's really no other way to say that. I don't mean any disrespect towards my family or my mom or my parents, my dad. Um, but it was just rough. It was it was not an easy situation. My parents were divorced at a very young age, and there was lots of drinking and drugs involved, and just a I would just say just a lack of responsibility a lot of times. And so I grew up with um, just a lot of bad memories. And in fact, I, I've often told people my first memory ever in my whole life was when I was, you know, likely three and a half years old and my mom and dad were fighting and, um, my dad left and, uh, my mom locked the door when he left. We're in a little apartment in Oklahoma city and my dad walked out, slammed the door. My mom locked it. He came back just a few minutes later, mad, screaming and cussing. And, my brother and I are sitting there on the floor and I, I remember the carpet still from that day. Like it was long brown shag carpet and my dad screaming outside the door, my mom crying and uh, my dad kicking the door down and oh, wow. all the wood and debris just flying through the living room. And we're just watching the Smurfs on a Saturday morning. I mean, that, that is my, I can't remember anything before that day. That you know? And so it, it just, it's often as, you know, science and psychologists and sociologists will tell you, you know, a lot of your first memories are traumatic things. And uh, for a lot of us, that's the same thing. So that's kind of my first memory with my mom and my dad. And um, and it just didn't get much better from then, you know, with my family. Um, so, you know, it my mom and dad split pretty early on. I I was probably six years old when they officially divorced. And, and that just, you know, that just began this kind of cycle where... Um, we were just in and out of different people's lives because we were moving around and my mom might be dating someone or whatever. And we might move in with that person or whatever it was looked like. And, um, and so it was just kind of this unsettled, um, but that was just kind of what it was like as a child. But you know, those memories are there and I love my mama and I know my mom's going to listen. Too. <laughs> I know Me you too. do too, Rhonda. And so I love my mom and, and God has brought her through so much. And, um, you know, my dad is, I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. My dad, you know, he, his, his drug and alcohol abuse, uh, took, took his life at the age of 48. And we, we buried him in 2005 from his, uh, addiction. And, 
Um, so my dad hasn't been around a while. He wasn't around when I was much a kid and a little bit in high school, but, um, that was just kind of my childhood, very uncertain, very up and down, but not uncommon for people my age, you know, just a, a pretty common story for people that are in, you know, I'm 43 and a lot of divorce and a lot of broken homes. Yeah. And you're probably searching for stability. Yeah. I mean, your whole life, that's your goal is to not have to live through that or put any children through that. Yeah, no doubt about it. And so I, in my, you know, in my early years, I mean, I just, I remember, you know, especially when I was um, eight, nine, 10 years old. And I was just, I was just this angry kid. Like I was just mad. And my mom would tell you that I would just see red and I, I would just be set off and, it was nothing for me to scream and yell and punch stuff. I didn't punch people that I remember, not family <laughs> anyway, but I, I would do that in school. I'd get in fights at school, but um, I was just angry and I couldn't really explain where that anger came from. Looking back at it now, I can, but at the moment, I just remember my mom would say things like, you're, you know, you're acting just like your dad because my dad had a really bad temper. And I, and I used to think, well, that's just because my dad was that way. And so that's the way I am. And so I just remember seeing red and not having any control just didn't have any problem, you know, screaming, throwing stuff and storming off or whatever it was. It just, it was a rage there inside of me and it was there. And so, and I often tell people, you know, and especially when I was teaching school to my middle school uh, kids and telling my story a little bit, that if you ever, you know, wanted to trace my family tree, especially on the Kitchell side, you just go to the DOC website, Department (laughs) of Corrections website, you'll see, I mean, it's just true. And I know that that's kind of a goofy thing to say, but just a lot of crime, a lot of jail time there for my dad, uncles, you know, family. I mean, just a lot of problems, a lot of dysfunction. And so I think there was just some of that darkness inside of me, you know, and I felt it. It was real. And you came by it naturally. Yeah, I felt that truly. How do you think you would have felt if you didn't have your twin brother, Dustin, there with you going through it all together? Yeah, we, you know, we were best friends, you know, growing up, no doubt. Um, and he was probably, he was definitely more chill than I was. And, uh, just a lot more, he kind of followed my lead a little bit. I was, you know, the firstborn and I've always kind of more of a dominant personality in the sense of more extroverted and, but, but he, I always looked at him as just calmer and I always kind of wish I'd had that like he did when we were younger, but having each other by our sides was, was critical because, um, as our family continued to, you know, move around and, and try to find stability, the, we had stability in one another. That was a, a great thing to hold on to um, because, you know, the things going on with my mom and my sister at the time, just, it was not good. It was very, a, a bad path, but my brother and I, we just kind of took our own path and we just went our own way and did our own thing. And we kind of just stayed away from some of the craziness that happened was going on around us. So we were, we were each other's anchor, I would say. And I think he would hopefully agree, especially about me being more dominant than him. <laughs> so, but I mean, we, he's funnier than you. he know. is definitely funnier than I am. He's actually going to come on the show. He's, oh, I love he it. Is. We're going to have a father's day uh, interview that'll be coming up to, to talk about our dad and some of the things we've learned as fathers today. And so That'll be weird for people to listen to our voices, though. It will so hopefully be. Hopefully, I'll have to like make his high pitched or They're something. The exact same voice, <laughs> like really. So I'll have to, you know, say, "Hey, Dustin." Hey, Dustin. He'll have to say Daniel, so people will know who's talking. But right. I think I might just adjust his voice to be more girly sounding <laughs> or something. But anyway, but but anyway, we we were, um, you know, we had each other's backs. You know, we were best friends. We 
you know, went, played football together, worked together. I mean, did everything together, drove the same car together for the first few years. You know, <laughs> we were pretty inseparable. Um, and so it was definitely a, a blessing that I had a, a brother right beside me. I bet. So what do you think about the path that you went on that ended up doing good things for both of you? Um, who do we credit that with? Like who got you into the church? Yeah, it started for me probably around the age of 10. I had a, a family uh, named the Thompson family and uh, the two sons were named Cody and Trey Thompson and their dad and mom were just, they lived around the corner from us. And it was when we were living with one of my mom's uh, boyfriends and they just took this great interest in Dustin and I, and they started uh, asking us to go to church. And then we started going to church with them at a uh, church in Norman here called Trinity Baptist Church. And we started going there on Wednesday nights and getting free food and going to the Awana program. Yes. And uh, it was just, I loved it. I fell in love with it quickly. And then before I knew it, I was going on Sunday mornings and uh, they were always picking us up and taking us. And Trey, the son of um, Cindy and Tim, the parents that, you know, they were, Trey was just like adamant about talking to me about Jesus. He always was bringing it up. When are you going to become a Christian? Like, and he would ask me these really kind of uncomfortable questions. And I kind of, there was times when I wanted to leave me alone, you know, because he was just, he wanted me to know who Jesus was. And, and I, I think I understood it. I was going to a little Bible study after school some days at the church. And, but I, I didn't, um, I don't feel like my eyes had been open yet, but he was just really, really instrumental in me seeing um, the love of Jesus. And uh, I just know it was uh, the winter, February of 1989. And we went to a little retreat and down in Falls Creek oh, uh, yeah. and went down there and stayed the weekend. And that Saturday of that weekend, we uh, was talking to Trey and the youth pastor. And and I just, God did something in my heart that weekend. And it was different. It felt different. And the pastor, uh, the youth pastor told me that after talking with me, that I was ready to surrender my life to Jesus and say yes. And he didn't grab my hands and say, repeat after me or anything like that. He just, he said, you just need to go off and have a talk with Jesus and go spend some time with him and say, you want him in your life. And so I left, I left the, the, the cabin and I went behind it and I sat on the air conditioner compressor unit out back. And I just talked to the Lord and I told Jesus, I wanted him in my heart, my life. And I don't even remember exactly what I said, but I remember I can still see it there. I can see my little knees um, <laughs> hanging off the edge of that air conditioner unit in the back. Uh, it's a moment I'll never forget. And I would say that I was, I was markedly different um, after that weekend. I wasn't, you know, completely sanctified in the sense of like, I was, all my problems were better, but I, it changed me that, that, that afternoon changed me, uh, February, 1989. And I became a Christian and uh, God just began to do some great work in my heart. And uh, I believe shortly after that, it was, you know, my brother kind of followed the same path. And, and so we were just these two young Christian boys in this kind of broken, dysfunctional world. And we just stayed the course with it. And so that's kind of where I was introduced to, to, to Christ and the church. And I think the, the Thompson family, big time for that, because uh, they took great interest in my heart. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. That's amazing. I'm so glad. I think I went to school with Cody. Yeah, I believe so. Mm -hmm. It's a small world because you and I are about the same age. <laughs> exactly the same age. Yeah, so it's a, definitely a small, <laughs> it's a definitely a, a incredible story to tell, and and I, I truly that's why I'm so you know passionate about 
know, the church, because I know the, I know the power it has over, you know, people that maybe don't have foundation at home or, or whatever. Those, those people loved me and changed my life. Definitely. No about and it. I thank them too, because yeah. look where it brought you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that path when you became a pastor? Mm. Um, you're very young. Did you, did you hear a lot of voices and a lot of pushing and pressure? And I don't know if this is what I really want to do, yeah. but I feel like I'm being led to do this. Um, did you resist it at all? Well, I, I would say resist maybe is not the right word, but I, I, I didn't believe it, you know, at first. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, when I, um, you know, all of this was happening, right. The things I was just referring to, they were happening here in Norman, Oklahoma. And then my mom met my future stepdad and we moved out to Noble, Oklahoma, which we moved out in the middle of nowhere. And we were um, completely uprooted overnight, basically, into a new world and a new school, left all my friends. And so I felt um, if, at that age that, you know, I was 11, 12 years old at this point, that that anger started creeping back up because I was just mad about the move and having to start over and not having my friends and all this. But God was in the middle of it all because... Um, he placed us out uh, in the middle of nowhere, but by an incredible church, which is a few miles down the road. And we had some family that was going to that church that was, you know, uh, some new family because of my mom's marriage. And uh, we started going to that church and, and that's where God really started to work in my heart. And I started feeling those things of what am I going to do with my life? Why am I here? And I really felt like God was calling me to do something. I didn't know what it was, but I, I knew I loved the Bible. And I love to read it and I love to study and it really came alive to me. Um, I was really, I really looked up to my pastor. I love the way he preached. I was mesmerized by how he could just pull a sermon off and, and keep your attention and uh, his passion. And so I, I just remember looking up to him a lot, but then I knew God had just given me something in my heart that I couldn't explain. And, uh, and then I found my youth pastor at the time he would allow me to teach Sunday school occasionally, even at 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, leading a little class or um, prayer or whatever. And so it just kind of started that way, but I knew God was up to something. And so the summer of my 15th year on this earth is when I surrendered to the ministry. I was at church camp and I knew God was doing it. I knew it. I didn't have any really choice in the matter at all. <laughs> uh, it was just like, God was like, I'm calling you to preach and I'm calling you to pastor and I want you to, I want you to say yes to this. And and I knew I was hearing from him, not in an audible way, but in a way that just said, I knew I could not say no in my heart to it because it was real. And so, you know, that, that summer, I, I, I told my youth pastor at camp that God had called me to preach and, and, and minister. Not a lot of 15 year olds say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I, you know, we had some other young men in the church that were, you know, went on to do great things in ministry. And I think there was really a God poured out his blessing upon that youth group at the time. Um, and no doubt that those things were going on, but it just, it just was something that was really special. And so I just said yes and uh, told my youth pastor, we went back to church the next Sunday. And that's uh, one of my favorite stories to tell. I, just like a good old Baptist boy uh, at the end of the service, I went down front and passed all the pews and walked down and took my pastor's hand. And I told him, I said, I'm called to preach. And I surrendered to that at camp this week. And he gave me a big hug and prayed with me. And 
um, set me down on the front pew and made me sit there for a little bit while people were continuing to pray and respond. And uh, after all that was done, the invitation was complete. He brought me up in front of everybody and said, this is Daniel. You all know Daniel. He's been coming here for three years now or whatever it had been. And everybody knew me and my brother. We were the twins in the church. And um, so and they said, he said, Daniel um, surrendered his life to the ministry this week. And everybody started clapping and just excited. And and then he said, uh, y'all be here next Sunday night because he's preaching his first sermon next Sunday night. Oh, wow. He did not ask me. He did not ask my mom permission. He, <laughs> he didn't. And there was no warning. It was, if you're called to do this, we're going to find out. Trial by fire. Yes. So I went... Uh, obviously did what he asked me to do. when I preached my first sermon when I was 15, that following Sunday. And I remember preaching about love out of first Corinthians chapter 13. And I don't, I don't remember it very much. Um, but I, I remember the text and, and it didn't go terribly, you know? And so God just gave me a, a calling and a gift. I, I didn't ask for it and work on it. It just happened, you know? And so, so that was just kind of where I was. And, um, so I, I just spent my, high school career and, you know, telling people I want to be a minister and pastor. And I got pre- called preacher boy at school. And, <laughs> you know, so it wasn't like a term of endearment usually, but, but that's what people knew about me, that I was going to be a pastor and I love the Lord. Was not perfect by any stretch, but my brother and I really did try to, you know, show the love of Christ to people that we were in high school with. And it just became just who it's just who we were. That was my call to ministry Yeah, at 15. Okay. Fast forward. Yeah. Your first lead pastor position. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, I was able to be at the age of 19, I was able to be a youth pastor for over four years at a little church and God really blessed that time. Um, made a lot of great long, uh, lifelong friendships there. Um, so that was like my first job I was getting paid. Uh, I think I was getting paid like 60 bucks a week. Awesome. <laughs> it was, and at the time I was working at Sonic. I was going to University of Oklahoma. I was youth pastoring. It was my first job in the ministry, and I loved it. It was some great times. You know, it was a great busy time being a full time student and working fast food, and um, and then trying to lead a youth group, and that was growing and flourishing. And but those were great days. That was my first kind of big start in the ministry, and and then I would just preach places too. You know, like I. I had a friend that would, you know, ask me to fill the pulpit for him when he was gone. And I preached at a few youth revivals and events and things like that. And so I just kind of slowly, you know, not a big deal at all, but I mean, people just kind of started asking me to preach. And so I would go to churches and preach and do different events and things like that. And, and so I got uh, asked to preach at a, a church uh, in, in our, our, lo- our town here, a local church. And the name of that church was University Christian Church. And they, my, my twin brother was going there at the time, their pastor left. And so they were having people fill the pulpit and go through the, their interview process and trying to find their next person to lead. And my brother kept telling the elders, like my brother, my brother is okay at preaching. Like, you know, you should ask him to come preach. And I think they kind of blew him off because I was 24 and they were right. just like, no, we don't need some young whippersnapper <laughs> in here to preach. So so anyway, finally, I think they just ran out of people to preach, you know, like they were in a bind. <laughs> so uh, I think I got like, you know, they, I was like the JVC squad or something on their list. And so I went in and, pre- and preached for them uh, one Sunday morning. I think it was a two week deal. They needed me for two weeks. And I remember. I, yeah. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. And I preached the first week and I knew I was coming back the second week. And then after I got done preaching, 
the second week, people were like, well, you need to apply for this job. And I'm like, well, I should. You're right. You know, like in my head, like <laughs> I'm thinking this is a lead pastor job. I've never led a church before. And but I applied for the job. I didn't really honestly think I would get the job. Uh, I don't know that they thought I was going to get the job either. Um, I think they had to entertain the fact that I pl- applied. But I applied and and we had some interviews and some talks. And in fact, I think the story, the way I was told it was that they had already had someone they were going to offer the job to. But then they interviewed me. And the interview just went way better than they thought it could have. And then they just had no doubt that I was the guy. And so here I am, 24 years old, and I'm leading a church, you know, that's probably 125 people or so. And I have really no experience whatsoever. <laughs> you know, like I could preach a little bit, um, but that that's how I landed the job. I mean, it, it was very unexpected. Uh, it wasn't something I was looking for. Um, cause I preached at multiple churches, you know, but it just happened. And so there I was 24 years old leading this church. And, uh, it was a great, it was a great moment for me. Like, I, I don't want to minimize the moment cause it was big. God did it. And that's the beauty of this whole story is that God did it all, you know? And even though all the mistakes that were going to unfold, mm-hmm. um, he still did it all and he was behind it, but that's how I got to my first full-time pastor role. So. It was probably a little frightening. Yeah. Starting that out. Yeah. But I would say too, I was a little arrogant, you know, like I, I thought I could do it. Like, and when you think you can do something, it it probably means you're not relying upon God enough. And I I thought because I could preach and people like to tell me I could preach and that I, I could, that's all that really was needed, but I didn't really have any great I didn't have like some grand vision for the church, you know, other than I wanted it to grow. And, um, and it did, it did. It yeah, did. for sure. Yeah. I mean, people, people came and I don't know if we, what our exact numbers were, but we, we grew a lot during the two, two years I was there, but, uh, but I was, you know, I think the undercurrent of me was that there was a little fear there and overwhelmed, but I was good at faking it. And, uh, as long as I got, could get up and preach a sermon and people told me I did a good job. I, I would feel okay about myself, you know, but um, I just didn't really have any experience to really know what it looked like to be uh, a truly like humble leader that uh, was relying upon God for my strength. And instead I was just a young kid basically that was just doing okay at the job. But I look back on it and I wish that I'd uh, just been more humble and, had just uh, leaned on God more. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about that path and how you kind of fell from grace. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, I alluded to this earlier. You know, anytime you're in ministry or a big time place of leadership, you know, you can get, you might as well just get prepared and put the seatbelt on of, of things that are going to come your way. They're going to try to sidetrack you and, and trip you up. And and I'll start with me first. Like one of my biggest desires in my heart was to have a family. Like I, and you know that about me oh, and yeah. anybody that's close to me knew that, you, you know, I, you know, made a lot of mistakes in my life, just trying to make that happen. Um, trying to make the puzzle pieces yeah, fit that didn't fit. No, absolutely. Opening doors that were not meant to be open, which led to divorce and dysfunction and terrible decisions because I just wanted a wife and I wanted a family. And so I've been known to rush things and to not be patient. 
And so I had in my head, you know, like whenever I started at this church that, man, God's going to bring my wife through here and I'm going to meet my wife here and I'm going to pass her this church for 30 years. And, you know, and like you have all these delusions of grandeur in your head and, and those things are not bad. You know, having a wife and children, which I have now, it's amazing. So blessed they're dreams of mine, but they were controlling me and I was worshiping them. And they were just the thing that drove me to do all the things that I was doing. And even in an unhealthy way, you know, in my time um, at the church, you know, I, I would say, you know, probably the first six months or so, I, I can't give you exact time frames, but, you know, it, it just, I started to really, you know, let my guard down with sin. And I really started to believe that I could do whatever I wanted in my private life. And it didn't really matter as long as I just had a good public appearance. And I started just basically living a double life. And I was um, sinning sexually and um, was not being pure. Uh, I was lying about it. I was deceiving other people. I was deceiving myself. Um, There was just a lot of, um, I would even say sometimes uh, just manipulation there going on, you know, because I, and I would say this too, backing up a smidge, I, you know, I wasn't perfect in this area of my life at all before any of this, but I, I don't think it was an area of my life that was out of control, you know, with just crazy amounts of, you know, lustful experiences or pornography problems or anything like that. It was just, that wasn't, it was just weird because this became, became my problem, you know, and it wasn't really, and it was like the enemy and just weakness in my part. Uh, I just showed it, a, you know, a chink in the armor, basically, you know, like it was, it was something that was really there. And, and so I just, I just dove in, you know, and I thought I could have a girlfriend and, um, and we could have a sexual relationship and it would be okay. Even though I was a pastor, you know, and then if I wanted to, um, you know, when that relationship was over, it was okay if I wanted to do the same things, you know, and, and it'd be just this kind of casual thing that was not a big deal. And, um, that I could do, you know, things that were, I knew weren't right. And they were sinning against myself and to the other people and, and against God ultimately. But this just became something that began to, it just controlled me. I just, you know, you get addicted to the feeling, you get addicted to the, you know, all the, you know, the rush of things like that, you know, just um, people, you know, and, you know, just for lack of better words, when, you know, it's sometimes you just want people to pay attention to you, you know, and I would say I was lonely. Um, I was hurting. Uh, being a leader is lonely. Oh, definitely. You know, and you're mm-hmm. at the top and you, you have these moments where you just, you feel immense amounts of loneliness. And, uh, and I just allowed it as an, that as an excuse to do dumb stuff. I mean, there's, there's really no other way to say it. And I'll just, you know, as you're listening to this, I was 24, 25 years old. I was single. Yeah. I mean, you just, you know, whatever you want to think it up, you're probably right. You know I mean, just, it's just that there's no other way to say it. I mean, um, and not, you're not doing anything that most 24, 25 year old men weren't doing, you just happened to be a pastor. Yeah. yeah. And right? I, yeah, absolutely. And I knew that again, I knew all of it was wrong and sinful and it was, uh, uh it was undercutting my ministry and my heart. Uh, and that's what's, you know, that's what sin does. I think, I think God, God ultimately hates sin because he knows what it does to us, you know? And so when he says that he wants us to practice purity and, and leave sex for marriage, it's because he loves us and cares about us. And he knows the pain that goes along with practicing it outside of those boundaries. And I think that's most people's story. I mean, I, it's a difficult thing to go through that I, I did, but, but God got me through it. Um, but I don't minimize any of it all because I mean, it was, 
it caused a lot of pain for me, um, for other people. I became a dishonest person, you know, just because I was so ashamed. You know, I had these moments where, I mean, I remember being asked point blank one time by a certain person in the church, you know, is this, is this going on in your life? Like, are you doing anything like this? And I just lied. I don't want them. To, and I thought, well, they don't even know my business. Yeah. It's private. Why, it's private. why are they asking me that? They don't have the right to ask me that. Like I, I said those things, but this person, I don't think there was any malice there. I think they just, they wanted to know. And, and then I had these other moments with, you know, a, a man that really cared about me named Rick and um, he and I were close. He was an elder in the church and I would just be on the precipice of telling him things that were going on in my life. Like, standing there at the edge of it, like about to step off and say, Rick, my life is out of control. Um, I am so um, I'm spiraling here and I need your help. And this is what's going on. This is what I've done. Like I could visualize myself having these conversations with him and I would get milliseconds away from saying, Hey Rick, I need to talk to you. And I would always back away because I was scared to death, just scared because I didn't want to lose my job. It's frightening. Yeah. And I felt like if I told him what was going on, I was going to get fired. And, um, and so I just kept the secret and I just thought I could somehow manage my sin. And, and so one secret led to another, another led to another. And before you know it, you don't even really know what's true, what's not true. And right. um, you're trying to cover things up. And it was a exhausting, exhausting few years for me, for yeah. sure. Um, and in the end, what you feared happened. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's like God was saying, you know, we can can do this your way or my way, but I, I love you too much, Daniel, to let you keep doing what you're doing, you know, and something's going to have to get to get your attention. And so that was my reality. But I just I just was scared to death. And and I was just very immature. You know, there's just really no other way to say it. I just it was all about me and how it, things affected me. Um, and then when you like I said, you just keep lying. And everybody's got these little secrets about you. Mm -hmm. um, you. You start having all this fear and you're looking over your shoulder, who knows what, you know, and, and you just, it just really probably affected me more than I even realized, you know, even though I was really doing a great job faking it all, you know? Um, but I'll, I'll tell you the, I define it as the scariest night of my life is when one of the individuals that was involved in some of this and, um, knew what was going on, um, to some degree, they, um, they, they stopped talking to me and I could not get them to respond to my text or an email or a call. Uh, I just know I tried to reach them a few times and cause I was scared and, um, they just ignored me and I knew something was wrong. Um, and I, I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was up because they had never acted this way towards me before. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I remember in a panic one night, I basically just went on a drive late at night. I was just freaking out because I couldn't get a hold of this person. They wouldn't, they were ghosting me basically. <laughs> and uh, so I drove by uh, one of the homes of our church members because I just had this hunch. And uh, when I drove by, I saw multiple cars out in front of this house or where they lived um, that were not the cars I wanted to see together. You know, and the people that were starting to find out things, talking, yeah. and and I just remember seeing those cars, and uh, I, I drove away, and I 
I don't remember where I pulled over at, but I just knew I had to pull over because I was shaking because I was so scared. And I would, and I wasn't really, it wasn't, it was a fear. It was a selfish fear. Like it wasn't like a godly shaking fear yet. You know, it was more of like, oh crap, I'm about to get busted and I'm going to lose my job. All of those things. That's where I was. The scariest moment of my life was that night. Other than my son being born, but that's a whole nother story, (laughs) which happened, you know, 17 years later, but you know, but it was a scary night for me. Oh, I bet. All of it came kind of to a head. Yeah. And I, and I remember when that happened and I remember you addressing the church. Yeah. I remember you, you know, taking responsibility and ownership for what happened and apologizing to your church family and still them not accepting that. Yeah. And that, that's a hard thing. It was a hard thing for me to hear and to see and watch. Um, But do you think if the roles were reversed Mm -hmm. and you were one of the elders and this was your pastor and this Mm -hmm. happened, how you would have handled that and would it have been different? Yeah. Well, um, I would say looking back on it, um, I think the biggest problem was, is that I, I really didn't have any problem getting up in front of the church and saying, Hey, I screwed up. But I think people that knew details of things that had gone on were not satisfied because I was, you know, I was pretty vague, you know, yeah. I was not going to get up there and, and go into details of stupid sexual stuff I'd done and lies. I told, I just wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to embarrass people and myself and, right. and, you know, the elders, at that time, just that was kind of our plan was just to, um, you know, say it in a sense of people knew that I had failed morally. And, but I, I just don't think that looking back on it, Rhonda, I don't, I just don't know how broken I was at that point, you know? And, but I just do believe too, that some people were just, they just weren't going to be satisfied no matter what I said or what I did. And I don't fault them for that, you know, because I, I put them in that place to have to even feel those things, you know? But you also have people that don't really, they didn't maybe really have feelings of endearment towards you anyway, you know? Right. And so when you do something wrong, you know, and you mess up, you sin, um, you do the things that I did. I mean, it just really magnifies their feelings, you know, but, you know, looking back on it today, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the problem was that really undercut the chance for healing was two things. Um, number one, I just, I don't know how broken I was yet. I think that that was the biggest thing. Um, I don't know that I'd really recognized how much hurt I had caused. Um, but I think secondly, the biggest thing too, that undercut the chance for healing was just people just talking, you know, and then people hearing things they didn't need to hear. Um, and it just really left no room for restoration at all because, of details that were floating around and feelings that were getting hurt. And then things were being said, like, you know, that weren't even true at that point, you, oh, know? I'm sure. and, you know, that yeah. were, I'm hearing things from people like that. That's not accurate at all. You know, like, I mean, and again, not faulting people for that. I'm just saying that me not being completely broken yet. And then just people talking and the gossip and things that happened and, the pain that that was causing, it just left no room for restoration. And so I think that ultimately um, what was supposed to happen happened in the sense that I, um, I resigned and we, you know, felt like we were going to try to work through it, but I had to resign ultimately. And and that's what the elders requested I do. And I did that. I wasn't happy about it. 
In fact, I was really mad about it. Yeah, you know, me I, too. Yeah, I know. I just, at the time I, I looked back and I was just, I was just angry because I thought we could work through it. Um, but, but they're quick to cast the stones. I mean, this goes all the way back yeah. to the biblical times. Like oh. you guys never had a sin. You've never had a problem. You've yeah. never come forward and repented. Yeah. Um, and I felt that, that that was definitely lacking in the leadership. And that was hard for me as a church member sure. to see. And that's why ultimately my family left that church yeah. and followed you. <laughs> well, don't follow me. Okay. So <laughs> no, I, and I'm thankful for that. You guys, you, you've been really loving and your, your, especially your father have been so kind and gracious to me when you, you didn't have to be. And, um, you know, and I think that's a, you know, I think we're all, I think we're all kind of, you know, prone to, see everybody else's sins, but our own. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done that so much in my life. Um, and it's, 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 sometimes it's easy to pick up the stones and, but I, I just, you know, I want, I want everybody to understand that, um, I'm, I'm owning this, you know, like I'm not, I mean, I, I put people in a bad place, you know, to have to make hard decisions and to make them feel things they shouldn't have had to feel from their pastor, you know, like right. I, I get it, but I do know that there were people that, that were extremely loyal, um, and people that love me through it, people that I, I'm still great friends with today, that when I see them in the supermarket, they hug me and they they give me um, just uh, just great encouragement. And uh, people that I know are hurt too, you know. And and I even shared this uh, sermon in the sermon on you know Resurrection Sunday just a few, you know a few weeks back that I told this story basically in my sermon. And uh, when it got posted online, um, several people from University Christian Church reached out to me and just thanked me for telling my story and um, sharing my heart um, because they needed to hear it. I don't, I don't know that I really ever got to tell my story, you know, yeah. and and that and I think that it left people to um, guess and yeah. not really understand. But I don't know that I really could have done a great job telling it anyway because I was so prideful and just so hurt and. Uh, yeah, it was you know, too raw at that point. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But looking back on it now, I mean, I'm. It's been taking me a long time to be able to talk about it, but uh, but yeah, it was it was a tough time. And so you know, when after I resigned, I mean, it just sends me to a whole nother place. You know, I, you know, you have this calling in your life when you're 15. This is what is God? You know, what's going to happen now? You know, God asked me to do this. I'm doing it. Made some really really terrible decisions, and is this is this gone? You know, um, am I done? Um, and so it really, it sent me, it sent me to a really dark place, um, several, several months afterwards, uh, where I was just pretty depressed and didn't think I could, um, ever recover from it. And there were some people that piled on to my grief, you know, and it, sure. it caused me a lot of pain. I'd get letters in the mail from people that were mad. You know, you get, you see people out in public and they avoid you. They act like you, um, you just, you don't, don't want to be near you, you know? Yeah. Um, like they've never made mistakes. Yeah. You're the, human. Yeah. Right? But I mean, there was a lot of residue there, you know, yeah. and I didn't want to come out of my house sometimes. And and I'm thankful like social media wasn't a big deal back then because it could have been terrible, yes. you know, just to, because I mean, I, I gave people, you know, reasons to be angry and upset. And I think that if people had the ability to communicate that, you know, at, at a oh, moment's yeah. notice, it could have gotten really, really messy, but um, but it was just a dark time for me. And um, I had to, you know, I, I got in some counseling and didn't want to be in counseling, but I knew I should have been. And, um, and I did that. And it really did help me. 
you know, see why I was doing some of the things I, I was doing. And it was loneliness. It was uh, insecurity. Um, but I think a big part of it, too, is right in the middle of all that, my dad died. Yeah. In the middle of my time at University Christian Church, my dad passed away. And I don't, I don't think I realized how much I was hurting at the time and trying to fill that void of him being gone and watching him die in the hospital. And so I was just doing a lot of things to distract myself and just not even think about it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really see it then until my counselor just pointed out to me and was like, you, you realize that this is a big issue for you, you know, yeah. that you're not even really seeing that your dad died right in front of you and you don't want to think about it. You want to feel different things. You want to feel good. So you do things that often aren't health, you know, not healthy for you. And yeah. so I was able to uncover some of those things, but, but I just don't, I still don't think that my brokenness and happened until years later, because, you know, these are still, um, these were still things that in my life would, you know, rear their head up uh, occasionally. But I, here's what I knew though. I knew that I was not going to fake things anymore. <laughs> I just was, I wasn't going to do that exhausting, it is you know, exhausting. double life thing anymore. Um, even though there were times when I thought I could do those types of things, I would always just realize I know what place that leads to. And I just can't live that way. I can't even keep up with it on the energy for it. Um, but through the counseling and through, you know, as I've said so many times and many through dinners with your dad, yeah. Don, great dinners, great dinners. Um, there were just people that refused to let me go to the darkest places, you know, and made sure I got out of my apartment and that I had everything I needed. And they were awesome. And your, your dad was at the front of that line. My mom was at the front of that line. Uh, my brothers, but your dad would take me to dinner every Sunday night and take me to nice places and maybe even a beer or two and, <laughs> you know, or just great food and talk. And he'd pray with me and, um, just make sure I was okay. And, and I, I owe my life for that because if I didn't have that type of friend during that time, uh, I don't know that I, I wouldn't even be a pastor today. There's really, there's no other way to say it. Like I would not be in the ministry today. Um, if he had not taken deep interest in my heart. So just powerful. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I think God put him there. Yeah. No doubt about it. <laughs> no doubt. Dinner. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Dinner's with Don. Yeah. I'm glad that God put him in my life too. So that, that was a blessing at nine to get a dad like that after having the same situation you had of, Hey, I've got this dad who I don't know really, Mm. who's an alcoholic and a drug addict. And that, that wasn't a good start, but then I get given this wonderful stepdad that just replaces all that for me. Sure. Uh, He's, he's amazing. And I just tell people all the time, be a Don to people. I mean, you have people around you hurting, and they don't have a lot of people standing up for them and yeah. everybody's kind of walked away from them to some degree. I mean, th- they need you. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm where I am today because of what he did for me. And, um, and there's just, there's really no other way to state the value of that and saving my, my spiritual life. Um, yeah. and what I'm doing now for, you know, my life as a pastor and all of that. So, yeah. but I, you know, the cool thing about the whole story and um, that I, it kind of is wedged in between other things I said is that we know, you know, that the scary night happens and the cars are all in the same place. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's next? The next morning I drove over to my mom's work and I met her in her parking lot and I just had her get in the truck with me 
And she sat out there with me and I was just sobbing, telling her all the things that were going on and telling her what was about to come because I knew it was all about to just really come out of the grave. Basically, yeah. you know, I knew it was going to come, come to a head. And, um, she just sat out there in the truck with me and listened and cried with me and, and loved me and hugged me. And the irony of it is that the parking lot that we were in would be the same parking lot that the church I pastor now that I've been pastoring for 16 years, um, where we were located at one point, a little shopping center. Yeah. And, and I know God knew that at the time, but you know, 50 feet away from where I parked my truck was going to be the front door, the church that I know and love and lead today. Um, and so God just always has those little winks he throws our way, you know, yeah. that are <laughs> like, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, you know, you don't, you don't understand it. You know, you don't, you see all, all you see is pain, but then you look back and, and you can just see God's fingerprints all over, even though it was a really ugly time in my life. Um, and you know, and all the people that, I mean, I don't know, you know, I'd be listening to this, but I mean, I, I can't, I can't show enough, um, remorse or regret for things that I did. I mean, I just can't, if I could repay it all, I would, if I could go back and, and fix it all, I would. Um, but I just, I just know that God, um, grew me through all of that. And he loved me enough to not let me continue to do the things I was doing. And, and so, um, for anybody that, you know, that I caused pain for, I, I do have, I have lots of feelings about that, you know, and a lot of regret and, um, and so I just, you know, I, I love what God's done in my heart, but it took a lot of my mistakes to, to get there, but it also hurt people. And I know that. Um, and so there is a lot of sorrow there sometimes that I feel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but, uh, but God's good. And he uh, got me through that. And I live to tell about some really disastrous decisions. Yeah. So, but. And it's made you, I think, personally, a better pastor. Mm. You have things that you can share with our congregation and you're not standing on a pedestal saying, oh, geez, that's really horrible that you did this in your life. I've never done that. I'm so great. <laughs> and so you have an understanding and mm. you know how easy it is to get trapped into sin. Yeah. And I think that's more valuable than any other lesson is having a pastor that you can come to knowing that you've been there. And that you can help us through this. And uh, I appreciate it. I know. Um, and what what would you say to other pastors out there that are listening right now that may be going through this or maybe have already gone through this? What kind of advice would you give to your your career path individuals? Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the way to look at that is probably to think, you know, what would I tell my 24-year-old 20 yes. self, you know, now? And I would just say that... Um, I would never recommend a 24 year old to be a lead pastor anywhere <laughs> at this point. I, I, mean, I, just, it's a I lot. mean, it's a lot. And, um, and at the time I felt so equipped, you know, I felt equipped, but I really wasn't. So I would just, you know, I would just mainly, the first thing is just tell anybody that, you know, don't ever, um, you know, just be careful biting off more and you can chew. And if you do get a job like that, that's maybe ahead of the time for you, just surround yourself with people that will hold you accountable. And people that will ask you hard questions before bad things happen. And I, I don't know that I had that at all. I don't have anybody really holding me accountable and could just basically say, hey, man, what's going on? Like, are you good? Like, are yeah. you anything you're struggling with? I mean, 
it was just, it wasn't there. There was no accountability at all. And maybe I didn't want the accountability. I'd never really had it before, but I mean, in the middle of all that, I was glad I didn't have accountability because, you know, I was doing what I wanted to do, but I would say to any young pastor, get people around you that can hold you accountable and Uh, support you. Yeah. And, 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 and will support you even when you mess up, Yeah, you know, not just to keep you from doing dumb stuff, but like people that when you say, Hey, look, I, I really messed up last night, you know, and I, I made a really poor decision and they can help you work through it. And they, there's a safe environment there to confess sin and struggle and not feel like you have to keep it from people. Cause that was the thing for me. I just, I was keeping it from people because I was just embarrassed. I was afraid. And, and so I just, I never just felt the freedom to tell anybody. Cause I just, I knew it meant I was not going to have a job, you know? And yeah, and so it was just a really, really, it was just a strange environment for me at that age and then not have any type of accountability there. So have that if you're young, if you're biting off a big, you know, you know, a big job that you didn't really expect over compensate for those types of things. Like truly, like just build people around you that you can trust that will hold you up. But they'll also hold you to the fire too, to make sure you're really okay and you're doing things with integrity and all of that. And I think the second thing is this, is that none of this stuff happened overnight. Right. It was all like slow and sure. You know, it was, it was nothing that it just kind of crept up and I thought I could just manage it. And then over time it grows and grows and grows. And then before you know it, it owns you. And it's as the Bible teaches us that, you know, you know, sin gives birth to death. Like it, that's what it does. It takes time, but eventually it's going to give birth. Yeah. And, and for me, that's what happened. Um, so just know that if you feel yourself slipping at all in your personal integrity as a pastor or a leader that really affects people, if you're, if you have secrets, um, if you are, um, you have no one holding you accountable, if there's any part of your life that's the, the private life's not matching the public life, just know that's an integrity issue and you have to handle that now and tell someone that because when you start talking about things, it really lessens the power of them. And yeah. so those are my two big things, accountability and understand that sin starts small and it grows. So if you have a little bit of it right now and you don't take care of it, it's going to, it's going to bring death. Yeah. That's powerful. I mean, I I'm an expert. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, there's really no other way to say it. I mean, it's just, I'm an expert. Well, And I don't think that a lot of jobs out there, kind of correlate that way to Mm. where your integrity really affects your job. I mean, it should, Yeah, sure. but how many people do we know in the business world and political realm that they're doing all sorts of horrible Mm. things, but they still get to keep their jobs. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, you're, you're held to a different standard and it's not necessarily a fair standard, you know, and, and that's what people have to understand is like, you can't be this perfect person. Right looking over your flock of sheep, you know, like you're going to have bad days too. Yeah. You're going to make bad decisions. Sure. And that's just the way we were created. No getting around that. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that the thing we have to understand is that um, there's one thing to like, you know, to make a mistake and people will fail. We are all going to fail. Yeah. But what I had done is I had entered into like a lifestyle of sin, which to me is way different, you know, in the sense mm-hmm. of like, it was, willful. Like, I don't care that I'm, 
you know, preaching on Sunday morning and Sunday night, I'm doing whatever I want. Like for me, that's the threshold I crossed. And that's where it got really dangerous and scary. Um, we're all going to make mistakes. You know, we're all going to fail. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say the wrong thing sometimes and I'm going to slip up and we we're, we're sinful people, but I had made conscious decisions to be okay for a short season of my life, living a double life. And I think that's what we have to be careful with, you know, yeah. but I do think you're right. I think that they're, you know, it's a it, pastoring is a weird job because your deep personal character will like cause you to lose your job. And there's not a lot of positions out there like that. No. You know, I mean, you can be a businessman and be a womanizer all you want, you know, yes. you can cheat on your wife and, yes. and you're not gonna lose your job over it. Um, but you do those things in a ministerial position and you will. Yeah. No doubt. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's, you know, the Bible obviously wants us to hold teachers to a higher standard and, you know, elders and shepherds of the flock. I mean, we, we have to model integrity and character. Right. Um, and that's why we never should take this calling lightly. No, ever. it's hard. It's yeah. definitely hard. And it, it is a calling, mm. you know, and thankfully you answered and didn't give up when you stumbled a little bit. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing that's always mesmerizing to me is that, you know, God would know even when 15 years old at that church camp, he would know that I was going to make these mistakes. He knows that I was going to be infatuated with relationships and trying to find a family and a wife that I would go through these dark seasons of, you know, divorce and making, trying to make things happen and then do all the things that we just discussed. And he knew all those things and he still called me to do it. Yeah. And that's just, it's overwhelming to me to think about. Um, and it just and look what he gave you now. Yeah. I no, mean, talk kidding. about that wife and those kids. <laughs> well, I say this, you know, um, after lots of mistakes and trying to force things, um, you know, the moments that I have given up control and let God work is when things happen. And so I, you know, I can't tell you the exact dates or whatever, but I just remember before I met my wife, Jessica, I mean, I, I just finally just said, I'm just done. I'm just done trying to make this happen. I'm trying to tired of being hurt. I'm tired of hurting other people. I'm tired of, you know, getting your hopes up and all the things that go with trying to, you know, find the right person to spend your life with. And, um, and so I just finally was just like, I'm done with it. I'm just going to give it to God. And I should wish I'd done that (laughs) (laughs) a long time ago, just opened my hands, not been so impatient. And when I did that, um, I mean, my wife, Jessica, just landed in my life, wasn't looking for her, wasn't really even seeking that. And it, and it just happened. And um, and that tends to be the way God does things. Yes. When we, We're not even paying attention. Yeah. And we have open hands. And I didn't have open hands. I just was trying to control everything. And from the time I was in my early 20s, you know, I just, these were things I desired so badly. And and when I opened my hands is when God really poured out his blessing and gave me what I really desperately needed. And, and that's my wife, Jessica, who's mm-hmm. just incredible and got two daughters out of the deal. And my son who's two now, almost three. And so everything that I've wanted, I have now in, in this world, you know, family, wife, kids, home, all the things ministering together, you know, um, it's, it's here now. 43 now. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but 
And she compliments you pretty well. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely. A, you're very no offense, but you're a very high strung kind of person. You got a. Lot I'm not high strung. What are you talking about? A little bit of a little bit of OCD type behavior, and yeah. she is the opposite of that. And I think she really. Calms I would say you. she's disorganized. She flies by the seat of her pants, right? And I love her for that. <laughs> she does. We do compliment each other well, and that's what that's what beautiful about it is that. Uh, it just wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I was trying to find and it just happened. And, um, and I'm thankful that God did it because we do, we do compliment each other. Well, we have a great relationship, yeah. um, and just have a half happy, healthy home. And, uh, I didn't have that growing up. And so I, I'm thankful that I can provide it to yeah. my family now, which is the whole thing full circle. Yeah. And her daughters are probably feeling like I did when I yeah. got my dad, yeah. got my stepdad in my life. They're probably like, thankfully, there's someone here now that's stable, that yeah. cares about me, that wants to see me be my best version of myself. Yeah. And so I know that they are getting that from you. Yeah. Well, I love them uh, a lot. And uh, we uh, have a crazy life, but it's a, it's a good life, <laughs> full life. Yeah. No doubt about it. But um well, thank you for being on the show, Daniel Kitchell. <laughs> thank you for being on your own show, Daniel Kitchell. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, you asked some great questions, and and I feel like there's just so much more I could say, and you know, but I, you know, I think I said enough to to give people just a glimpse into what I went through. Um, but I just, I think I would just, you know, two things I'll finish with, and yeah. you can, you know, finish this up however you want. Anything that's on your heart, Rhonda. But I, I listened to a podcast the other day and it said there's some statistics that are coming out um, this year and just probably maybe even out now where uh, upwards of over 40% of pastors are considering quitting the profession. And I, and I think that's a real stat because uh, I feel it. You know, yeah. you feel the, the expectations of the job um, having to keep up all the time and lead people and all the pressures that go with that. And I would just say to all the pastors and anybody leading ministry today that what well, your job is so important and right. to, to not give up. And if you're thinking about closing the door of that, just, you know, really pray and seek the Lord um, because a lot of pastors are walking away from this and it's leaving holes in our communities and our churches and our families, because I believe in the power of the local church. Um, and so all the pastors out today, I love you. I'm here for you. If I can walk with you through anything, um, I want to help you. And so reach out to me you can email me at pastor Kitchell at gmail.com. You can reach out through Facebook or their website, um, for this show where I just want to help any way I can and just stay the course. Don't be another st statistic, Yeah. you know, and secondly, um, and finally from my heart, just, just know that sin always over promises and under delivers. If you're struggling with sin today, it doesn't matter what you, your age is, or if you're a pastor leading a church, just repent, turn to someone you can trust and that loves you and can help you and, and will have your back and just own it. Um, because that's the true path to freedom. And if you think you can manage it and that somehow, some way you can just do whatever you want, it's going to be okay. It, just doesn't work that way. God loves you too much to let that keep happening. And uh, at some point it's just going to catch up and you have to own it. And so just uh, face the music today. If you got to confess something, confess it. 
find someone that really truly does love you and 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 has Jesus's best for you in their heart and just lay it out there in front of them and let them help you. That's great. And I know that you would be a great mentor for anybody that yeah. has these questions or these problems. Um non-judgmental, right? Yeah. Um and I just thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah. I know it's not the easiest to have me come and grill you with these questions. Um, but I also know that it's on your heart and it's something that is going to heal you as well yeah. by letting this out and letting people know truly your side of the story and, and yeah. how, how it affected you yeah, uh, is very important for other people to hear. And I'm sure you're going to feel a little bit freeing today after this. <laughs> uh, I, I, I found that after every time I talk about it, it just, it gets a smidge easier, you know, um, I still feel a little sweat, you know, right now, and, um, just, you know, a little bit of my heart racing sometimes just cause they're not easy things to, to say and admit. But, um, if I can spare anybody the heartache that I've gone through because of my choices, then, uh, then it's all worth it. Yeah. So that's my heart to, to everybody today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. Thank you, Rhonda. You, I have to have you on again, you know, maybe you can just take over for me someday. No, no, you do a great job. <laughs> uh, well, it's an honor to have you on to, to, uh, to dive into my story and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Rhonda. Bye. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.